Welcome to episode 17 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. It is a delight to have you downloading this episode of the podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. Slowly but surely this exercise of collecting the Illawarra's oral soccer history is coming together. I encourage any of the listeners to contact me if they have any potential interviews that I should be undertaking. I am following up several leads, but I am grateful if people think I should be following up additional suggested interviews. This episode's interviewee started his soccer journey in Holland, and in his early teens he came out to Australia in 1951 with his parents. His transition into a new country and community was slightly better than his parents as he went to school and played soccer for Tech and the Bowgiani Soccer Club in the under-14s and under-16s. He then went to Fernhill Soccer Club in the local league for a year and then returned to Bowgiani for a few years in the state league, predominantly in the reserves. Normally this would be a very good soccer journey in itself, but not for John Valestra, who came back into the game via junior clubs, Fig Tree and Bowgiani and additionally on the Illawarra Junior Soccer Association Committee. His time at Bowgiani Junior Soccer Club, along with many other committee members, volunteers, sponsors and community help, brought about tremendous change to the facilities at Judy Masters. Many of these changes remain today. His next step was even bigger when he became the secretary of the Wollongong City Wolves for a decade, working alongside Laurie Kelly, Jack Zania, John Fleming and many other wonderful Wolves people. After this appointment and subsequent resignation a decade later, his soccer journey subsided but his community involvement and volunteering did not, being involved on the Wollongong Sports Ground Trust and the Dutch Australian Society. John is a man who I deeply respect and enjoyed interviewing. It was a pleasure being around him to note down some of his experiences and again I publicly thank John for his time and knowledge. That is it for now. Please enjoy this episode. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in the leafy surrounds of Bowgowney, and I'm here with a guest by the name of John Valestra. John, thank you for allowing me into your home and, and allowing me to interview you about your soccer journey. My pleasure, Travis, my pleasure. Let's um, start from the beginning, and um, and although uh, a lot of people do know you in the soccer, soccer community, um, can you tell us... Um, uh, where you came from, where you were born, and and um, that sort of time frame when you when you came to the country. Well, I was born in Leeuwarden, which is a town in uh, Holland, uh, in 1938. My father is a baker, and we had a bakery ourselves. We had a business bakery in Holland, and um, after the war, which um, you know was a bit long drawn out affair. Um, and the rebuild in Holland was extensive so uh, my father and mother decided they would migrate and there was five options ca- uh, Canada, South Africa, New Zealand and Australia yep. and uh, we opted for Australia and uh, because my father uh, sold his business he had a bit of money 
and therefore uh, we had to pay our own way to come here, which means we flew here by aeroplane. As a matter of fact, it's uh, the same aeroplane that's at Albion Park now, which oh, wow. is the Connie. <laughs> yeah, we flew in a, in a uh, super constellation. <laughs> I can still remember the name and the number and everything. And my father wrote a bit of a, a travel documentary of it. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so we arrived in Australia on the 15th of May, 1951. And uh, we were transported from Sydney Airport to the railway station, Central. Then we were put on a train to Bathurst. And in Bathurst, uh, or outside of Bathurst, in Kelso actually, uh, there was an old migrant, uh, not a migrant, yeah, but it was now a migrant hostel. Yep. But it was before a army hostel where the army used to train before they were sent overseas. So, but it was empty and uh, we were accommodated there in pretty Spartan conditions, really. Yep. Very minimal. <laughs> pretty ordinary, it was, I tell you. So, anyway, um, my father and met up with another baker from, yep. from uh, Holland, from Frisland, and uh, he, that together they, uh, they knew of someone here in Wollongong and they contacted him. And he said, why don't you come here? There's plenty of work here at the steelworks, you know. You can just start straight away. And so off they went, those two men, and the rest of us stayed there. Now, he, this friend of my father's, their family consisted of five kids. And I'm on my own, you see. (laughs) So so after about a fortnight or so, um, they contacted us to come to Wollongong, which we did on the train. We travel by train to Sydney and then from Sydney to Wollongong and they had hired a house in Wollongong and uh, yeah so all of us moved into this house there was two flats out the front as a matter of fact the house is still there to even today and um, there was a, a fairly steep driveway down the side and then there was a garage underneath from the back access from the back so my father and mother were in one bedroom upstairs and the other couple were in the other bedroom upstairs and all of us kids, six of us, five of theirs and and me, we all <laughs> slept in the garage down below. So that was all right. We stayed there a bit over a year because during that time my father was able to purchase a block of land here in Ferry Meadow in yep. Elliot's Road and um, we, con- we commenced building a half a house there yep. and that house is still there too in Elliot's Road although it's hidden below <laughs> below the bridge just about yep. <laughs> yeah so uh, that's what we did we built that house there and you know we used to walk from uh, from Kira Street where we lived yep. all the way to this house in Ferry Meadow oh, wow. along the back road and uh, through the paddocks and all that sort of thing yeah so um they weren't real tough times for us, but um, still, you know, and it's intri- tough living in a in yeah. a garage. What about yourself? Um, I guess you were around twelve, thirteen when you came out, and I guess their formative years. Oh, um, still, yeah. It would have been, I guess, looking back on it. Um, although you know, everyone trusts their their parents. 
um, and, and you knew that the decision to come out was for the right reasons. I guess at the time you were probably leaving friends um, and and a place that you'd known your whole life. So that must have been hard in that respect. It was, uh, Travis, it was. But uh, I adapted fairly quickly because yep. uh, I went to school straight away. As a matter of fact, all, well, five of us, they had an older son who was a bit older than me. He went to work straight away, but the rest of us all went to school. And there was an Australian couple in the front flat. Hopmeers was their name, and... Um, Letty was the lady, and she took us to school, to uh, Wollongong Primary School. Yes. And we, I stayed there till the half yearly exam, which I was able to pass the exam. And the headmaster there, Mr. Moe, he 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 turned around and he said, "Oh, John, you're a little bit too old to stay here in primary school, so we better send you to." Technical College in Wollongong. Yep. So that's how I finished up in Technical College. I had one year there in Glaston Avenue, and then the second year while I was there, uh, I spent at uh, Lysard Street where they had just built new building. Yep. So we moved into there. Which I think is now Kira. That's right, exactly. Kira High School. Yep, that's it. So I was in Kira there. And then I, uh, when I left there at year 10, um, uh, I uh, managed to get a, an apprenticeship, yep. but in the meantime I had started working for web, uh, for a shop in Wollongong, yep. which I left in January then the following, uh, the following January, and um, I started my apprenticeship at uh, Metal Manufacturers in Port Kembla. And, and for yourself, um, like you said, your transition into a new country and a new environment was pretty good mm-hmm. um, uh, looking back on it now do you think it was um, easy for your parents because um, uh, they probably they had a lot more time uh, back in Holland and a lot more to uh, they were leaving a lot more um, so do you think that they did it a bit tougher mentally as well absolutely Travis I mean my father was homesick for 10 years my mother was adapted a bit better, yep. but I can still recall that when we landed in Darwin with the aeroplane, we yep. landed in Darwin and we went through to a, a canteen for something to eat with a squeaking fly screen door on the front. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, oh, what are we doing here, you know? <laughs> well, why can't we go back straight away? And anyway, she was a bit uh, upset there, but... She adapted fairly fairly good, really, but my father stayed in this uh, homesick uh, state for quite a long time, for 10 years, as a matter of fact, and um, it was 10 years after that that, uh, that uh, I got married, and when I got married, we moved into their house in Ferry Meadow, which had, in the meantime had been completed as a yep. house, and um, they went overseas. They went back to Holland to uh, spend some of the money they had to leave there in the first place, yep. and um, which they couldn't take out of the country because it was in a rebuilding stage. And, um, yeah, so they went back to Holland for about eight or nine months, and we stayed in the house until then. In the meantime, I'd bought a block of land in West Wollongong, 
and so I uh, was start, we started building a house there in West Wollongong and um, eventually that house was finished and we moved in there and um, that's when uh, my uh, soccer started again. I was so if we, we backtrack a little bit, uh, back in Holland you did play for, for the local club there and, and, and you obviously had an interest in football um, or association football or soccer as it probably was known uh, here and your dad had involvement as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, my father was um, part of the committee of this club yep. in Leerwarden, the town where I was born and that club was called Friesland which is uh, virtually the province that we were okay. living sort in. Sort of like this, a yeah. state here in yeah. Australia. It'd be like Illawarra here. Oh, okay. And anyway... Um, yeah, and uh, so he was actually part of a group of five people, as well as his committee duties, that selected the teams. The coach didn't select the team for that club, and yep. that was normal, but these five people, they selected the members of the team each week. Yeah, so his involvement was pretty full on. And, and, and yourself, you... Um because of his involvement, you then started playing um, st- at that club? I started playing at that club, and um, that was quite good. Uh, we had a good coach. We played every week, and, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed my stay there. Yep. And, but then when we left for um, Australia, they gave me a beautiful send-off, and they gave me a photograph of the team that I was playing in. Yep which had been coloured. Oh, wow. I've still got the coloured photograph of the team with all their signatures on the back, you know, and that was... Uh, that was a nice party. It was gift. a really nice uh, farewell sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, so I played for quite a few years there. They don't start too young in, in Europe. Yep. Uh, you're probably about uh, 10 or something like that before okay. you start playing... Uh, sort of competitive soccer, you know what I mean? Yep, and and I guess um, uh, maybe prior to that, like you said, because of what was happening in the world generally in that part of part of the world in Europe, you know, there wasn't too much uh, playing going on before that. We we mainly played in the street. Yep, we played in the street, or there was a little paddock a couple of streets away, and we'd go down there and put a couple of jumpers on the ground over the goals, goals. And, and, and away we'd go. We'd have a game there, you know. Good. So we're... So you got a, a very good send-off um, from your teammates and your club, and, and I'm assuming um, your dad was uh, uh, sent off as well oh, in absolutely. that Um So when you came here, before we talk about... Um, your soccer journey here in Australia um, was it just a just a, a logical fact that um, your dad didn't have any involvement um, in soccer because he was so busy uh, building the new property and working and and forming a new life for his family here? Yeah, that's right. Um, they uh, hired this house in Wollong in uh, Wollongong, Kira Street. Yep, and. Um, 
the people that left there, they left the furniture there and they had to buy that furniture. So uh, both men worked at the steelworks to start off with. Yep. And they worked as much overtime as they could get. Yep. And which was unlimited at that time. At that point. And uh, so they paid off that furniture fairly quickly between the two of them. And then at the same time, uh, this fellow that lived in the front flat, Harold, he uh, he was a builder, and he said, "Well, I'll build a half house for you." So yep. he proceeded to do that here in Ferry Meadow. And it was pretty Spartan when we moved finally, but we wanted to leave there and move in. You yep. see, so we moved in. <laughs> I can still recall. We moved in, it had no ceilings in the house, so we looked straight at the tiles, yep. the roof tiles, and we had no electricity connected, we had no water connected, so we were carrying buckets of water from the front where the main tap was. And uh, for electricity we had these kerosene lamps, yep. and Mum was cooking on, um, uh, uh, not like... Petroleum or yep. uh, what do you call it? Um, kerosene, kerosene yep. heaters. She was cooking on them, and uh, and that's how we moved into here at Ferry Meadow. But uh, it was pretty pretty hairy to start with. with. Yeah. And and yourself, um, when you did get to um, uh, Tech or Wollongong Secondary uh, Technical School, you did um, you did uh, play for a couple of years there. Um, in the school competition. That's right. So, um, like you said, your transi- transition into a new country was uh, fairly seamless, you know, straight into school, yeah. um, playing there. Yeah. Um, so you obviously <coughs> still enjoyed the game that you still wanted to continue playing it? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah, I love the game. Yep. Yeah, I always have and always will, I suppose. And, and, and in terms of... Um, uh, some of the guys that you played with there at, at, at Tech, um, I think there was the name Surtees and 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 a couple of other guys. Um, what do you recall of of school soccer or football at that point in time? Well, not a lot, Travis. To be honest with yep. you, because um, uh, I just played the game, yep. and um, because English was a bit of a problem for me at the yep. time, so I didn't sort of involve myself very much with uh, other players in the team. Yep. But we did play against all the other high schools, uh, Coromel and um, and Wollongong High, etc. There weren't many of the high schools in those days, actually. So, uh, Do you think it was, um, like you said, you were transitioning into learning a second language? Do you think um, playing soccer was helpful in that regard? Because while you're playing the game, um, sometimes you don't always necessarily need a language to communicate. That's exactly right. And um, yes, uh, I enjoyed my school soccer as we did then. I've still got a couple of photographs of uh, of the teams, yep. uh, but uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, but I wasn't there all that long, and yep. I wasn't there in the first year. I was only there in the second and third year. We we had uh, school certificate after three years. So after three years, we had the um, the. Um, vocational guidance people come along yep. and they did they tested you in those days for uh, uh, adaptability for various trades and in the end they said I was uh, suitable for a motor mechanic job Okay. 
I wasn't keen on that at all. So I finished up getting an electrical apprenticeship with MM in Port Kembla. And also during this period, you, you had a couple of years at, at Baogani uh, Soccer Club at the time, which was one club. Um, you know, it had its state league teams, but it also had some junior teams underneath it. That's right. So um, what were your memories of, uh, well, of Baogani in those times? Because, yeah, um, well, the first time I played under 14, Yep. and then I had to go to under 16 because the junior football was all in two-year jumps. Increments, yep. Yeah, so um, I played under 16. Yep. And after that, I, I can't quite recall what happened, but I did finish up at Fern Hill, yep. playing for Fern Hill. And in the one year, I played uh, youth grade, reserve grade, and then they put me into first grade. And I think we're talking mid-50s here, yes. approximately. Yes, that's right. And um, so, and I got a bit of a write-up in the Mercury for scoring goals and things like that. So... <clears throat> I played on the right wing, and uh, maybe Balgani was looking for a right winger, I don't know, but Balgani yep. came over, and um, I forget the, the guy's name who came over. He was a committee member for a long time at Balgani. Maybe uh, maybe Lanyon or Maybury or someone like that. Mm. Maybury, that's yep. who it was. Yep. Yeah, and he came over, and we sat at home in Ferrymeadow, Elliot Road. Yep. And... Uh, I signed a contract to play for Balgani. And, and and what did you think, and for the listener there, um, just to denote the difference in that Fernhill was in the local league at that point in time and, right. and Balgani were in the state league with the likes of Coromel and Winuna. That's right. Um, so, yeah, it was two different tiers. You were going from the local level to then... Oh, to a much Similar to, level. I guess, now MPL state league level. Yes, that's right, exactly. Yeah, so... Um, uh, I trained with them. Uh, uh, Jim Frame was the coach at yep. the time, and um, anyway, I was selected in the first team, the very first game of the season. I forget who that was, but the second game was uh, against Coromel. Yep, big local derby. Yeah, and I remember I was on the wing, and um, that's when the ground here at Belgani was still half on the cricket ground, and we used to, they used to put a portable fence up yep and um, the dressing room was then sort of in the middle of the field and I just happened to be there and and there was a player called Keith Learmont for Coromel a very very prestigious name in he in was and um, somehow or other him and I got tangled up and he crashed into the into the ground off the ground like yep. a little bit off the ground and there was sort of gravel leading into the dressing rooms was gravel yep and he finished up with gravel rash (laughs) (laughs) i remember and he wasn't too pleased about what i did but anyhow that event that uh, carried on i think we lost the game too because they were quite a a red hot team at the time yeah they were although balgani had their their own good players yeah i kind of recall mickey duff for instance he was a great player and uh but, so the next week after that, we were playing uh, Leichhardt, which is yep. now Arpia. And Leichhardt, was, and this was at Lambert Park yep. uh, in the olden days, and uh, I played there. And I didn't, I didn't feel 100% at 
uh, confident about yep. that, about these games. So the the next g- uh, game after that, they put me in reserve grade. Yeah. And reserve grade had a, a few Dutch players in it. The Klassen brothers. Yep. Jack Barendrecht, he was one, and um, there was one other, I think. I forget now, but anyway. And I got on quite well with them. I got on with, well with them before. Yep. Because um, I had joined a band, music band, with the Klassen brothers and Jack, and uh, we were practicing in the bakery of his father's place in Warrawong. So I knew them pretty well, and that made it a lot easier for me to play in reserve grade. And was that part of um, when uh, Mabry, one of the, the committee guys, came to your house? Um, was that part of the decision making to sign up with Bowgani that you did know a couple of people um, in reserve grade that, you know? Um, oh yeah, of course, yeah. And 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 in terms of um, your year at Fernhill, they played at Pop Arrington, which is sort of Reed Town, um, rather than where they play at Taraji. What colours were were um, Fernhill playing in those days? Oh, I think it was red and white, but yep. I'm not quite sure. But uh, I think it was red and white. And yeah. Balgani in in um, that that fifties era where you played a, a handful games in first grade and then played reserve grade, were in the black and white quarters. Is that yes, right? Yes, I think so. Black and, and white quarters. Yeah. Yep. And and what are your um, uh, memories of of the crowds uh, that came down? Um, obviously, you'd go up to Sydney every second week um, yes. unless you're playing Winuna or Coromel uh, what, what was your feeling of the crowds and the games at those times? Well here at Balgani we had quite a big contingent of fans or if you like Yep. Uh, in Sydney not so much because yep. people weren't uh, able to travel all the way yep. up there we as a team went up in a bus yep and I remember I played music and I had an accordion and I used to take the accordion on the bus with me and I played tunes on the bus coming home, you know, <laughs> not going up there on the way home, especially if we'd won or something like that, you know. But we had a few people that were ardent supporters and they came along on the bus, bus as, well. as well. Yeah. And so would the bus just pick you up at Bowgiani Road or near the pub or, or somewhere along there or...? I think they used to come to the ground. Okay. The bus come to the ground, picked us all up, and away we went. And um, before you you finished up there at the in the end of the fifties or near nineteen sixty there, um, because of you know uh, work reasons, um, you still had a successful stint in that reserve grade team. Yeah, we won the competition one year in the reserve yep. grade, which was great. Uh, we had a good team in those days. Yeah. And you always played in that sort of right-side attacking type position? I did. I played as a right winger nearly all the time. And um, like I just said a few moments ago, it was because of um, where your education and your work was taking you um, that you thought, okay, I haven't got time for this because you would have been training a couple of nights a week. Oh, yeah. And then, But also you were you know, working a full-time job and trying to forge a career. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't train anymore because of the fact that my study uh, enticed me to put, to go to tech Yep. four nights a week. Wow. And they were all at night time because I was working during, during the, the day. day. So You had no other choice. I had no choice but to give the game away for, yep. for a period of time anyway. And when, that, when my studies were finished, I did come back and played with Belgani. 
but not in the state league or anything like that. Yeah, if you can tell the listener a bit about that, that was probably 64, 65 uh, from what you you remember, but it was not the state league Baugiani team, it was an overage team and they played in the local comp, is that right? I think so, yeah, but um, I didn't play in any of the official yep. uh, um, sanctioned games. We had, We put a team together. Kevin Norton was involved yep. and a few others and um, and I started playing with that team in a sort of a social competition if yep. you like and uh, I don't know how long we played there, just a few years but we played played on, on, on a lot of uh, outside grounds yep. like I remember there was a ground in, in sort of uh, Winuna or Balambi or something which is no longer there yep. there's all houses there now <laughs> But it was near the brickworks. Yeah. And uh might have been the Bulleye Brickworks. I don't know exactly where it was. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we played there on pretty rough grounds. So it was similar to the Amateur League of yeah, today. Yeah, exactly the same. And so before we, we move on to the next uh, period of your soccer journey, um, did your parents or your dad get to see you um, play for Bowgani in State League? Yes. So yeah. that must have been, yeah. I guess, uh, a proud moment, um, you know. Yeah. Y- y- he would have seen you play um, over in Holland, uh, maybe not some of your, your school soccer or or maybe uh, under-14s or under-16s Baugiani because he was working, but he got to see you, uh, uh, you know, uh, play for the Baugiani, Baugiani team at those few games. Yes, he did come along to Baugiani for a few games and things like that, but he... He was more interested in South Coast United in the 60s. Yeah, well, they were, you know, the number one or premier team yeah. once they, uh, um, Winuna and, and Coromel United merged in the late 50s. Yeah. So did you get out to some of those games or because oh, yeah. you were involved in state league or depending on days you played, you'd, you'd no, go out and no, watch no. as well? all our games were on a Saturday. Yep. And all the South Coast United games were on a Sunday. Yep. So all the home games were at the old Balls paddock. Yep. And, um, and we used to just, because um, I got married and yep. we had Raymond two years later, uh, well, he came along in the pram, of course, and, <laughs> uh, yeah, we used to sit on a on the big tank, concrete tank up the, yep. halfway up the hill, yep. and we used to sit there and the kids could just sort of play in the, in the grass there and that sort of thing, you know, so they were good times. So even while. though you might not have... Um, always played you'd try and get out and watch when you could oh yeah absolutely yeah and and your next um like you said about your, your eldest son ray um he um when you did move out to to west Wollongong, you, you you did have a year there at um victory junior soccer club yeah we had three years there yep and and there um probably started the the next phase of your volunteering life in in soccer. That's right. Um, where y- you said you were writing weekly newsletters, apart from um, being involved in your son's team as well. That's right. I was coaching the team. Yep. And Raymond was six years of age, and uh, it was the under sevens. So he always effectively played a year above his age. Okay. So it was sevens, eights, and nines. He played there. Yep. And then that was uh, 1972, yep. and at the end of that season, he, we moved here to Belgani, to yep. this house here, and, uh, and I 
got involved with the Balgany club in a senior capacity, if you like. So I was the gear steward the very first year we were yep. there. And then Raymond started playing under nine again. So he, he dropped that age gap then. And he played under nine under, um, under coach uh, Dave Errington. Yep. And, um, and manager uh, Ray, Ray Cook. And, and the Errington name is synonymous yeah. with Fernhill. Um, well, that's in, right. In they used to, he used to play himself for Fernhill years ago. But anyway, I, uh, I became gear steward the first year, and then I became treasurer the following year, and then I became secretary the year after, and I stayed in that position for five years, I think. And, and the... Um, because there'd been, a, I guess, a period of time... Um, you were here in, say, the mid-50s up until 60, early early 60s as well, um, playing playing the game, and now you were back again as a parent and as a committee member. Yeah. Um, so there was a bit of a, a bit of a change because I think in that sort of mid-70s, um, Bowgowney had merged with um, the old South Coast United, which became Safeway and then became Wollongong City for a period of time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it would have been a, a slightly different feel to to the grounds in the club. Yes, yeah. Well, Balgany was then in the um, local competition, first grade. Yep. But um, we, as a committee, decided we would do something about the ground. Yep. And the first thing we did is we moved the ground south. To half a ground to its position where it is today. To the position where it is yep. now. We had a lot of coal, uh, coal, um, uh, washery coal yep. delivered, and that was all put in into a hollow that was there at the southern end of the ground. Yep. And then we, um, then of course the grandstand was in the middle of the field before, and finished up on the corner of the field. Yep. And I remember there was a. Um, the president of Belgandy was Eric Ramsey, yep. and he was adamant that grandstand was a sort of a, uh, I don't know, a feature of the ground, if you like. Yep. But it was stuck there on the corner, and it was in a terrible position, really. So <laughs> I can still recall one day after the ground was done properly and we put a fence around it yep. and so forth. Uh, well, in actual fact, we... We uh, decided to apply for a grant from the government, and I went to see uh, Laurie Kelly about it. And uh, who was a local parliamentarian? And yeah, he was the in local the parliamentarian, state parliamentarian. And we had a committee of um, David Drain, yep. who was the president. I was the secretary, and Ian Sellers was the was the treasurer. And we decided that we should apply for a grant. Yep which was approved eventually. But we had to prove that we spent some money before we could get some of the grant. Okay. The grant from memory was $29,000. Which was a large sum of money in those days. Which was a large sum of money in those days. So we, we decided we'd, um, we'd have this ground improvement committee, yep. of which the juniors and seniors were always separate, and I think yep. they're still separate today. Yeah, they are. Yeah, so the finances were kept separate, even though there was a, a couple of times during the 
the procedures <laughs> during the years that the seniors wanted to take us take the juniors over. Well, this was resisted, and yeah. it never eventuated. But but um, so we got the twenty nine thousand dollars. Well, our improvement, our ideas of what we wanted to do with that, put lights on. Yep. Put a fence right away around. Put a drain all the way through. And uh, and so forth. Well, it wasn't possible to do that with that kind of money. Yep. So I approached uh, Ack Wilton at one stage. Yep. And I said to Ack, I says, look, I says we're struggling like every other football club and so forth. And I said, would you be prepared to put a mound around the the ground? Yep. And I said, how much would that cost? He says, that will cost you $10,000. I said, well, we haven't got $10,000. <laughs> how about you do it, I give you a check for $10,000, and you give us a check for $10,000 as a donation. <laughs> I didn't think he'd say yes, but he did. So uh, that's how we got the mound around there. Yep. And, um, yeah, so then... Uh, and then the fence had to go around, the chain wire fence had to go around, the rail around the pitch itself had to go in and so forth. And uh, yeah, and then the clubhouse, which was a building which was donated to the club by AIS yep. and was weatherboard, but it got to such a bad state you could just poke your finger straight through the weatherboard. So... We had some great support in those days, great yep. supporting members of the junior club, such as Ron Groves. I don't know whether you... Definitely heard of the name, yeah. Yeah, well, Ron, Ron was a builder. His father was a bricklayer, and, and uh, we decided we'd try and brick veneer the building. So yep. we did, and Ron and I went to Bulleye Bricks, and we con <laughs> bulleye bricks into bringing <laughs> bricks out there, and they did. They supplied all the bricks, free of charge. And Ron and his father, and um, a couple of, and uh, Macmillan was another one yep. bricklayer. And his son was playing with Balgani at the time, and he came along, and he's uh, oh, somebody else came along anyway. There was about four bricklayers, and and I used to mix the mortar and do things like that and and they eventually uh, finished bricking it all in you know at the same time we put a gear shed on the back of it yep. which wasn't there before it was just a plain uh, timber structure before so we put a front veranda on it and we put a back room on it uh, extended the back room to make a gear shed yep. and also a little kitchen in the corner which had access from outside as well as inside Side. and um, yeah so that's how we finished up doing that I think um, a few years ago I, I um, uh, there were some pictures in the clubhouse which I then posted online and, and it sort of showed two or three pictures of that process of, yeah. of brick veneering um, the old uh, timber shed yeah so in terms of um, uh, we're talking sort of mid to late 70s here that this is happening and, and, and you know, um, yeah. amongst several other people on the committee and, and other local companies and people helping out. Oh, yeah. um, how, did the, how did the lights um, 
come about as well because they're still standing today and, and being used <laughs> quite successfully. So um, how did that come about? Well, I was working for Integral Energy or Illawarra Electricity it was to start yep. with. It was Illawarra Electricity that that, uh, that had drawings and were putting towers at, at uh, substations. Yep. And they were lightning towers at substations, so they were an integrated. Well, you can see what what they look, look like, like on yeah. the ground. And there was two of them lying at Unandera's own substation. And I went up to see Max Sire. And Max uh, Max's grandson was playing soccer with Belgaudi. So I said to Max, I said, "Oh, look, we've got to put lights up. It's a coming thing. We've, you know." Got to upgrade the ground. Yeah, we've got to upgrade the ground. So I said, well, how about you you give us those two towers that are at Unidera? They don't seem to be using any uh, uh, use, use for anything. They're just lying there in the grass. And he said, okay. So we decided that we would take those two towers. And then I had a young fellow playing in my team yep. called David Achille. And David Achilles' father was the owner of Dynamic Steel. Okay. So I said to his father one day, I said, look, see those two towers lying there? Now we had them here now. Yep. Would you be able to put together something like that? Fabricate more. Yeah. He said, you get me the steel and I'll make them for you. And I had the plants, so it was easy to, for <laughs> them to make. So I then approached the steelworks yep. through David Drang, the president who yep. was working there, and we said to um, to the steelworks, "Would you be able to supply us with some steel?" And I gave them the drawing, yep. and they supplied every bit of steel, and they charged us six hundred dollars. Wow! <laughs> for four more towers. <laughs> So, then I went to Wollongong or Illawarra galvanising. Yep. And I said to this manager there, I said, well, you know, we're struggling like every other football club, but we've got these light towers. Would you be able to galvanise them for us? So, after a bit of humming and ahhing, they said, (laughs) yeah, okay, bring them here. So, we arranged for a truck to bring them there. Yep. They galvanised them all. All the pieces, because they were in two pieces, the ones that... Yep. Everything was in two pieces. So we had another post put up the top, a three-inch water pipe, uh, with the idea of putting the lights on that. On that. Yeah, so that's how we got the towers organised. And uh, then we had to put them up. So Laurie Jarvis, who was our gear steward at the time... Yep. He was working at South Bulleye Mine, and he said, "Oh, I'll get you the the bolts yep. <laughs> to put in the ground." So we dug a square hole, <laughs> and um, we had a, a plate made up, a timber thing, yep. that we could suspend over there with the bolts sticking in it, the four bolts for the tower, and uh, so we uh, and they were. The, the bolts went down a long way, long way. <laughs> and that was filled up with concrete 
So there's a big concrete block hanging on the end <laughs> of each light tower, you know. And um, I must say that Vic Morgan was the president of the seniors. Yep. And Vic was a great help. Yeah, he I think he was a, a plasterer by trade. Yeah. Yep. But he arranged for the concrete to be put in there, and uh, so uh, Vic Morgan did that. And uh, so it was a combined effort by lots of people. And, and companies and, and the community really Absolutely. coming together. Yeah, well, in those days, you could go to a manager and say, oh, what about helping the club and doing this yeah. and that? And they'd usually say yes. Yeah. Nowadays, they, this very rarely happen. happens. Very rarely happens, that's right. So when did the uh, lights officially then um, come on? Yeah, well, because I was involved with the Illawarra Electricity, like yep. people. So, and Alan Morton, Yep. Who, whose son was playing in my team, a goalkeeper in my team as Derek, well. Derek, yeah. Derek, yeah. Yep. He was in my junior team. And uh, so I get, as a coach, you get involved with the people that that are that have Parents kids that, playing yep. in your team. So uh, Morton, uh, Alan Morton was very, very helpful all the time. So we... I don't forget. I can't. I, I just forget how we got the actual lights to put on there. Yeah. But uh, we needed four lights for every post, and the six posts there. Uh, that's twenty-four lights, and we must have got them somehow rather organised. Yep. And then Alan worked on the switchboard to put yep. the thing in, uh, and he got most of the cable for us because <laughs> the cable runs from that post on that side yep. the furthest one over right across the ground yeah. we cut right across the ground and we had to join it in the middle you wouldn't believe we joined the cables in the middle but they're all in pipes yep. and uh, and Max Sire's son-in-law yep. Jeff uh, what's his second name Anyway, Jeff was there, and he helped with the installation of the cables and connecting them all up, and Alan collected them all up on the posts and so forth, put the lights up and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so that's how we got the lights. So was that sort of um, early 80s then that they were then starting to be used, or or late 70s? Late 70s. Yep, so it must have been a a pretty... uh, you know, uh, happy day for for both sets of clubs to yeah. to have that sort of amenity yeah. in the region, but locally for the for the club as well. Well, we were the only ground with a lighting system on it, and during that time, after the lights were installed and working and everything, and because my son Raymond was playing with the. New South Wales team at the time yep. and also a uh, representative. Um, I got in touch with uh, the guy who was looking after the uh, Canberra Institute, Yep, Ron Smith. Okay, yeah. And I got in touch with him and he said, how, I said, how about bringing the, the representative team from Canberra to Belgani and play a night game here? And he did that. He did it on a number of occasions, actually, because he was looking for game time. Time. And so we arranged for that to play here. 
maybe play various other teams, you know, things like that. But in those days, we were also bringing teams from overseas. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so they got a lot of use. The lights got a lot of use in the beginning. As they should. So in this time, you were um, you sort of, well, I guess, were ending your involvement with Bowgowney. Um, but you, you also, um, for a period of time there, were on the Illawarra Junior Soccer Association um, committee. Uh, how did that come about and, and what did you do there? Well, Florence Stevenson was the president. Yep. And uh, I don't know whether I finished up in secretarial position or not, but I was on the committee of the juniors. Yep. And... Um, I was actually, I was actually making up the draw for Gala Day. Okay. And I, I'd make up the complete draw for Gala Day. Yep. But we had another guy who was associated with the Victory Club. Yep. Bob Morn. Don't know whether you know about Heard that. Heard of the name? Yeah, Bob Morn eventually took over that job from me and and put in all the. And it was it involved making a program for the day with all yeah. the teams who were playing, playing where they play and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And then, of course, we had to organise the the gala day itself, which meant a uh, a um, procession, a um, the march pass, march that pass. Part of. That's right, yep. because we had a prize for the best march pass and that sort of thing. You know. And at first we had it all around Balgany Oval all the time. Yep. Later on we even had one which started at Guest Park and went down Balgany Road. Oh, wow. And finished up at Balgany. It would have been a great site. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, you had involvement there at, at Balgany at the, the Junior Committee but also at the Illawarra Junior Soccer Association. That's right. And then in, in 82 um, uh, you got a... A phone call, or you met up with uh, Laurie Kelly, and and he had a chat with you. Well, the Wolves started off in 1980. There was a main meeting at the Wollongong uh, Leagues Club. Yep. And I was there. We were all sitting in the big auditorium, and the Wolves were started. Yep. And Laurie became the president, and he surrounded himself with all these business people. I forget most of the names, yep. but John Elliott was one of them, who was the owner of Harrigan Ford anyway the first year they played at Wollongong Showground and and I remember they were all there these officials these well known business people from from town and the secretary appointed was uh, uh, oh anyway it'll come to me Greg someone no yeah, Neil Gregg. Neil Gregg, yeah. Neil Gregg was the secretary to, to yep. start off the club. Yep. Anyway, he only lasted 12 months, and he had to give it away for some reason or other. I don't know why, but anyway, he had to give it away. He's still involved in the club with Port Campbell, I think, at the moment. Okay. And uh, he had to give it away, so one day we were sitting here, and there was a knock on the door, and Laurie Kelly was there. And he came in and made himself comfortable. 
And then he said, John. And you had no idea at the time why he'd come, no, come to you? No, you'd, no, I didn't. Like you said before, you'd had interactions from a Bowgowney level about yes, that's all. getting help and yeah. grants and whatnot, but yeah. no other interactions. No other interaction. So he then turned around and he said, John, well, whether or not he knew that we'd done a fair bit of work here, well, he did know that. And, uh, you know, that we were pretty well organised and things yep. like that. And uh, he said, John, I want you to become the secretary of the wolves. I said, what? So Joe and I talked about it here yep. in the lounge room. We were sitting in the lounge room there, <laughs> I can still recall it. And uh, in the event, and we said, oh, all right, I'll give it a go. Which was a, it started off as a fairly slow process. Yep. Because some of those business people weren't all that impressed with me coming on board. Okay. Uh, I know that. I could feel that. Yeah. But eventually they all disappeared. Most of them had gone by the end of 82. But by the end of the second season, yep. they had gone. They knew there wasn't much in it for them, you know? Yep. And... Uh, and, um, yeah, so that's how it went. And Laurie had his offices in Ferry Meadow on the highway there. Yep. And I just used to go there whenever I have to and we'd talk and yep. and we became friends. We became very, very good friends, Laurie and I and, uh, and Joe. And we had outings together and they invited us to all their personal parties and things like that. Because... Uh, he uh, he did a lot for soccer in the region, uh, apart from the Wolves. He was heavily involved at Fern Hill there he for was. a period of time. Yes. And and as well uh, as well as being the state parliamentarian, yeah. you know, he did a lot for various um, parts of the community for different reasons. But um, he obviously, um, like yourself, um, which I find remarkable, had a lot of energy um, because he would have been busy in his normal life, like yourself. Yeah. Um, but always found time to, um, you know, run a National Soccer League club. Yeah, that's right. Now he was wonderful. He he did a great job for Wollongong, in my opinion, and, uh, yeah, I'll never forget him. And and in terms of um, those years, because from, from what I've heard about previously, there's people like Jack Zania um, and... And yourself and and other people that Jack knew and a couple other people on the committee that that did a lot of work to Wollongong Showground because it wasn't in the the best of states oh. in terms of a facility that you know um, I I don't remember it as much but you, you could probably tell a bit more that it wasn't in a great state and and the Wolves um, the soccer club um, which I think got its name from the rugby league club yes um, you know you guys as a committee did a lot of a hell of a lot of work yeah. Well, the first sponsors of the Wolves were the Wollongong Leagues Club yep. and Westfield. Yep. There was a manager of Westfield at uh, Victory, Westfield Victory, yep. and he was on the board of Wollongong, of okay. the Wolves. Okay. And so they were sponsors as well as the Wolves' uh, name then came from a rugby league team that was representing the Wollongong uh, Leafs Club. And which, you know, um, apart from no one else but myself, um, which was very confusing when I went to the library initially and, and got into that period, um, 
I saw a lot of wolf stuff and you're trying to flick across and skim or scan the readings of the newspaper um, headings and um, I saw wolves but it was rugby league so yes that's right yeah exactly anyway the um, yeah so I became the secretary of the of the Wollongong Wolves City Wollongong City soccer club oh. called the Wolves yeah so there was a it wasn't um, unlike some other clubs you guys had to work on and off the field in in some respects you know making the showground a a better facility so when you played there and and as well as you know putting a team on the park and doing what's necessary for that as well well jack zania was a enthusiastic soccer uh, follower yep and he him and his son and uh, and his uh, partners that worked with him including andy costa all of them worked their butt off at Wollongong Showground repairing fences because people could just walk into the bloody place, you know. <laughs> and and then they painted the place. They painted it red and white because we were red and white colours. <laughs> That's why the seats in the grandstand, yep. the long timber seats, yep. they were all painted red and white and so forth. Yeah, they did a marvellous job. And, and and how did you um, find being involved at that level? Um, you'd been involved at junior level um, at a club and the association, and now you're at a uh, at a club where you were you know you were you're playing with the big boys now and and, sure. and doing relatively well. Yeah, well, the team started off very good. Yep. Uh, uh, the coach was Ken Morton, yep. and Ken put together a team of mainly English imports and um, that's how we started off Uh, that weren't all that successful the first couple of years but uh, we did have a win here the very first time at the showground when we beat Olympic 3-1 yeah and it was a a bigger crowd from what John Fleming when I interviewed him said that um, that that day the uh, whoever was counting couldn't couldn't uh, get the attendance right because it was a large crowd (laughs) A very large yeah, crowd. Yeah, most probably tried. But, uh, yeah, so it just went on from there. and I attended nearly all the meetings. Laurie was very busy with these parliamentary um, uh, obligations and yep. therefore a lot of the stuff fell on my shoulders and yep. uh, I had to go to meetings in Sydney and NSL meetings. Well, I say NSL, but we started off as the PSL. Yep. It was the Phillips, Phillips Soccer, Soccer League, League, which uh, was sponsored by Phillips and uh, later on became the National Soccer League. And, uh, well, every year we used to have meetings or quite during the year as well. Yep. And uh, we'd have to go to these places in Sydney, hotels mainly, where yep. we had meetings and so forth. And uh, I still recall... A particular meeting that I went to where um, uh, the president of Sydney City they okay. were Sydney City he got up and he said and that was um, Frank Lowy yep. Frank Lowy got up at the meeting first thing we were all sitting around the table Frank Lowy was supposed to be sitting at the end of the table and he got up and he said well I'm sorry to have to tell you this but Sydney City is finished. 
we are no longer prepared to put the money in and all that sort of thing. Thompson was the coach at the time. Yep. He was shell-socked. So was everybody else. You know, they thought, oh, how can a big club like that just turn around and say, well, we're finished. We're not playing anymore. And this was in about November. And they said, and the season was just about ready to go. The draw had been made. Made. and everything was set to go, and they wanted to back out. Anyway, there was a few Sydney City officials there, yep. and then the officials turned around and said, ah, we'll keep it going. So we, they played the first game in early February, yep. and that was it. They couldn't do it anymore. So it was... Um... No money. It was uh, because during the 80s there, uh, where, you were, where you were involved all the time in terms of your position, there was, um, I guess, y- y- you probably saw more politics than, than Laurie did in, in state parliament. Absolutely. Because um, it, it's, you know, um, from what I've read, it, it seemed, seemed like it was, I guess, Sydney-centric. Yeah. Um, very much capital cities and and Absolutely. and you guys um, you know I we guess were the provincials you, you you guys or us as 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 an area found that out the hard way at the end of the eighty six season yeah um, can you talk a bit about because um, there was a northern and southern leagues and and different things that made up the NSL in those initial years but yeah how did we uh, fall out of the league well. They all started complaining about the cost of travel. Yep. So then a decision was made in 1983 that they would split the the competition into north and south, and uh, that's how it went. Yep. So we played in the northern division of the of the competition yep. uh, for three years, 83, 84, and 85. Yep. At the end of 85, there was a movement by Sydney officials and Melbourne officials. Yep. I still remember that. Between the two of them, they hatched a new league. Yep. And the new league was to be 14 teams. Yep. And what they were after was seven in Sydney and seven in Melbourne. Melbourne. And that failed because Adelaide qualified and we were... We were railroaded out of it, you might say. Yep. You know, we finished ninth overall yep. out of the two competitions. But we, we couldn't get in. Yep. So they sacked us all. And they sacked a lot of Sydney teams too, uh, who've never made a, a comeback. Ever since. But uh, anyway, we... Uh, so as a as a committee, uh, it must have been extremely tough in terms oh. of the amount of work that a lot of people had put in, not just yourself and others on on the committee or who were directors, but you know, um, you know, your families. These are all, um, I guess, working as families. You know, helping. You know, your wife would have been helping you in terms of Absolutely. the extra time and and even being down at the ground, I'd imagine. Yep. And so it must have been extremely disappointing, to say the least, to yep. be kicked out of a competition when, you know, it was just a, a yeah. couple of power brokers that wanted to do it their way. That's right, exactly. But what they did do is they introduced promotion relegation. And in 88, we won 
the state league. Yep. And um, in winning the state league, we were promoted into the NSL again, re-promoted into the NSL again. So that was with um, John Fleming and, and various other people as well. But um, was there a sense that when you got back into the state league, which I think, yeah, it was 87 or 88, that, that you guys were then really working towards being promoted and, and, and winning it? Because I think that year there was Canberra, yourselves, and, and I forget the other Sydney team that was a, really three teams playing it out. Yeah. So you guys had made a decision at, as directors to say, well, we want back in. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And to the extent where we spent a lot of money that year because we retained all the ex-NSL players. So yeah. you're paying NSL prices paying in NSL the state league. paying NSL prices in the state league. And so that ended up... Fortunately, it, it, it's, it panned out that yep. we did get back in again. And it was very close, though. So oh, yeah. That, so that must have been a, a proud moment for for you guys as, as directors. Yeah. And the club to... I think you even made the grand final that year as well. That's right. Um, and to get back in. So was there a sense... Um, I guess at your level and, and at Laurie's and the other directors that when you went to the, the first meeting the following year with the NSL club, some of them that didn't want you, um, was it a bit awkward in a sense? It was. Yep. I've got to admit that it was pretty awkward as a matter of fact and uh, we were the unwanted uh, club. Yep. They didn't really want us but we were there. And that made a big difference for us. It gave us impetus to get into them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm gonna. That's what I was gonna say. It must have really um, gave the people at the club, off the field, real drive. Yep. And people on the field, the players and the coaches, because right. you end up, in my opinion, the league championships more important. That '88 season, you've won the league. So yeah, that's right. It must have been a. A very proud moment after eight or nine years in in um, the comp and one year out in the wilderness to yeah. come back and, and beat the best of the best. Yep, that's right. Now it was a real triumph for the for the Wolves that particular year. There's no doubt about that. And but then we went into '89 and we played two seasons in the one year. One in the winter and yep. one following straight away into the summer. That must have been a strain on everyone. Oh, yeah. In terms of just time, yeah, really. and finances. Yep. When I started with the Wolves, we had an overdraft of about $100,000. Yep. And when I finished with the Wolves, we had an overdraft of about $80,000. So we hadn't really come out on top or anything yep. like that. But we'd been fairly careful with our expenditure and so forth. And... Uh, We've had a few dramas along the way, there's no doubt yep. about it. There was one time when the players went on strike because they didn't get their money and, and Laurie would come and see them and say, look, the money we owe you is guaranteed. Yep. Because we all we all signed for $10,000, all the directors. Yep. That was one of the con- conditions of being becoming a director on the club. Yep. That you had to sign a guarantee form for $10,000. Now, there was one year, I remember, and Laurie was overseas somewhere, and um, I had to ring him 
because we were in dire straits. And he said, just go to the bank and tell them that I will up my my guarantee from ten to thirty thousand, and that saved us that year. Yeah. Well, it says a That's lot. Of, it says a lot about about him as a person, doesn't oh, it? Oh yeah, for sure. And well, I guess uh, without straying too much into politics, you know, I wish we had uh, politicians a bit more like that these days. Oh yeah, for sure. No, he was as generous as they come. And and what about um, uh, let's talk about grounds again because um, you've had Wollongong Showground. Yep. And then for a time there, you were at Zeems. Yep. Um, one did, year we went to Zeems. One yep. year, and we did a lot of work at Zeems. We built that little brick building there, and yep. we could sit on top and all that sort of thing, and uh, ticket office and so forth. So we built all that there for one season. Uh, only because uh, Coromel Leafs Club was going to sponsor us. And they fell on hard times yep. after 12 months and couldn't sponsor us anymore. So we had to go back to the showground. And of course, Laurie was then at the time on the Sports Ground Trust. Yep. He was able to get us back to the showground. And so why did you originally leave the showground uh, to go to Zooms? Because of Coromel Leagues, potentially? Yeah, because of Coromel Leagues sponsorship, potentially, yeah. yeah. And then um, how did uh, uh, Brandon Park come about? Well, Brandon Park, Brandon Park was uh, Lord Mayor Arkell's yep. pet. Frank Arkell, yep. Frank Arkell was the... He thought that Branham Park was the ideal place for an international stadium. Sort of a sporting precinct in a yeah, sense. Yeah, sporting precinct. So he he was instrumental in starting that. And um, so they, they built the main ground. Yep. The Steelers at the time had a fundraiser in the way of a rock concert. Yep. And Brian Surtees from the uh, Mercury and from the radio, yep. he organised a concert for them. And they made something like $25,000. And we thought, oh, that's a good idea. Why don't we do that too? So we did it too. And we did it at Brandon Park. Yep. And it was a terrible weekend. It rained and it <laughs> rained and it rained. And we got some people there, but not enough, not enough to make a profit. Enough to be able to pay the costs involved. Yep. So that's all we got. There's nothing else left. So that was a disaster. Rock with the wolves <laughs> was, was a disaster. <laughs> but we had Jimmy Barnes there. We had... Uh, Dragon, the band Dragon, and uh, and a few others. So it was just Mother Nature that conspired. Mother Nature that that, uh, killed it for us. So as a club, you were pretty happy to be a part of Brandon Park, and we were extremely happy, and we started developing training grounds and things like that. There was, if that was the main oval to the north, there was two grounds. Yep allocated to the Wolves and yep. to the south there was two grounds allocated to the Steelers yep 
Well, the Steelers never took it up. They okay. had it in their mind. They wanted to develop... Wind Stadium. Wind Stadium. And they, to the extent that they made overtures to the government that the money that was going to be spent at Brandon Park should be spent at the showground. Well, that wasn't the idea. So Frank O'Kell went ahead and he built... Well, they went ahead through the support of council, state government and federal government. Yep. They built Brandon Park. And it was pretty good, except that the, half of it wasn't finished. There was no turf on any of the hills. They were all blank. Mm-hmm. The grandstand was just simple. No seats in it. Yep. Just concrete steps. And the back of it was open. Yep. The roof was on, but between the roof and the last seats there, there was it was nothing. all open. And so what, what time period are we talking here? Are we talking 86, 87, or, or is, that, is that sort of the time frame we're talking here? No, earlier than that. Earlier than that? Yeah, earlier than that, yeah. So the walls through Jack Zania and his married band of workers, we built sponsor boxes in the top there where the yep. gap was. And, uh, and we built a bar there. And we're doing all sorts of fundraising things, like selling bricks. Yep. We put a, a, a silver plate on a brick with your name on it, as long as you paid $25, I think it was. So, so various, had, various means to yeah. to get the amenities yeah, yeah. to where they should be. Yeah. And, of course, all of us, including myself, relied on support from family and friends yep. and all that sort of thing. I started the Howlers Club. I don't know whether you remember that. Yeah. The, the Howlers Club, and I sold them tickets for that, and they'd have a seat in the grandstand and all that sort of thing. And there was quite a few people who took that up, business people as well, and they supported the club fairly, fairly good as well. So, uh, yeah. Do you think it brought a lot of uh, stability to the club in terms of training at the same place that you play and then um, even though you guys had to do a lot of work uh, a bit more of a modern facility compared to um, Wollongong Showground? Yes it did but uh, we were still just prior to that as well as during the construction of Brandon Park we were faced with training facilities we didn't have any training facilities. Because there was a time there where you put lights at Winona High School. Exactly. We put lights up at Winona High School because John Frew, who was a teacher there, yep. he arranged for us to be able to train there. But we had no night lights, so we put some posts up with lights on it and we trained there. Prior to that, we trained here at Belgani. Yep. We trained here at Belgani for quite a few years, actually. Yep. Only because I was involved with the Belgani Club um, and I was able to negotiate negotiate with the committee to uh, to allow that, you know. Belgani was good, uh, good to the Bulls, there's no doubt about that. But, um, yeah, then we did went to Winuna and, of course, the lights were left there. Yeah, it's all expense. Yep. We don't really gain anything from it. Yeah, it's... It's only realised for a period of time and then left there. Yeah. So, you, I guess when you uh, finished up in 91 as yep. Wolves Secretary, you must be uh, 
must have been even at the time. I guess it was more down to uh, uh, time constraints and, and, and you had other things going such as family, um, work, um, and you had other volunteering jobs as well. You must have been pretty proud of um, where the club had come from, that it yeah. was still in, it had come back after the 87 season in State League. You must have been pretty proud of your efforts and pretty content in some respects that you left it in a, in a good in the, state. Yeah, I did. I was very happy with that. But unfortunately, after that, the club went in decline. Um, they actually ran up a lot of debts everywhere. And I thought the debts were around about $350,000. But they tell me later, John, um, he was the treasurer at the time. I talked to him after he left that job and he said to me, oh, it was more than that. Yep. So anyway, and uh, so the club was in financial dire straits, the wolves. Yep. And uh, I went to a meeting where uh, there was a group of uh, business people from Wollongong that yep. were prepared to take it over. And I supported that wholeheartedly, simply because that was one way of uh, of the club continuing and getting out of their debt as well. And that's right. So they turned around and they put up the money to pay off the the debts, and then they proceeded in controlling the club and they bought another grandstand yep. at the Gold Coast from the Gold Coast. I think it was the old Carrara. Stadium there, yeah, or something like that. Yep. And they brought it down here, and they stored it first at Brandon Park, yep. and later at Macedonia Ground. At a Berkeley, yep. And uh, they were then they asked council would they give them permission to put it up and extend the lease. The, the twenty-year lease had just about run out, and they wanted. You know, they didn't want to put a lot of money in unless they had the surety of, of Which use. Is fair enough. And council refused. Because by then, council had been talking to the university. And even though I talked to the university too, and the university said, oh, no, we don't really want it, you know. Yep. But that was, that was a lie, really, because they turned around and they did want it for what they have now. Now, the innovation campus. Yeah. So it must have been, um, although uh, that latter part of the 90s and early 2000s on the field, there was some some great success there and um, some beautiful football as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it, probably that early 2000s is, I guess, from your perspective, uh, probably more, I don't know, I'm not going to describe your feelings, but I, I would say at a minimum you'd be slightly upset and, and disappointed in, in how it went. Every time I drove past Baron Park, I had tears in my eyes. I thought to myself, look at all that work we did there. Yep. And what's happened to it? It's all gone. Because I think um, as well, I used to attend um, some matches there uh, every season. And um, I guess as a soccer person, it wasn't just watching the soccer. Um, probably same as it was when you watched South Coast United in the 60s mm. and 70s. It was a social meeting point yeah. um, for younger people and, and you got to watch quality soccer as well. But, yeah, um, yeah it was a, was a disappointing end um, there. Absolutely. Devastating. I was devastated when, they, when that happened. And, and look at it now. We've got nothing. Yep. 
we had nothing a long time ago. We spent a lot of money and a lot of time and effort and a lot of people put their heart and soul, soul. into the club and into facilities for the club and it all amounted to nothing. Yeah, I think looking back on it now and, and talking to people like yourself and others, you you see it more as, uh, like you said, um, the club came out of uh, community people like yourself mm. and Jack mm. um, and Laurie, even though he was a, a parliamentarian, he didn't have to uh, do do what he did. No. And, and it came out of, you know, Frank Arkell might have had the idea, but you guys then had to put in the work to, to get it where it was. Mm. Well, in, in 91, 1991, Laurie retired from the Sports Ground Trust. Yep. And I was appointed. Yep. So I went on the Sports Ground Trust, and during my time, five and a half years I spent on that committee. Yep. With uh, Bob Millward and Elvie uh, uh, and uh, Peter Bolt and a few others. Yep. And I got to know them pretty well, and Peter Bob was a nice guy, never forget that. Anyway, we we built the entertainment centre. Yep. And during that time, I got pretty involved in that. Which is a great facility for the community. It is, it is, there's no doubt about it. But that's life, yep. Travis. You, you go on and do things and hope that everything works out sometimes it does and other times it doesn't and and in terms of uh your involvement in the sport um there was a two or three year period there um with the illawarra soccer association where you were a director um you know uh was that just you again uh being asked to help out as as you had for over a couple of decades in, in the sport in different levels was that just someone coming to you and saying can you help out or uh, I can't quite remember how I got involved with them. Uh might have been through uh Paul Mayanidis. Yep. And uh but I'm not quite sure how exactly how I became involved with them. Uh David Naylor was of course the the uh guy in charge of it, the CEO if you like. Yep. And we were the board members. And during that time I was always, I'm always a person for the underdog, if you like. Yep. I thought the second division of the local competition was a disaster. It yep. was running in uh, 16 or 18 teams or something. Yeah, it was. You'd play some teams but not others and things like that. And I thought that was bloody terrible. So when the when the time came, I said, look, we've got 28 clubs now. We can run two 14-team competitions. Now, there were some people that were against it because they thought it was too much and others that were in favour of it. So we put it to the test and, yeah, it got passed. That was my idea to have two 14-team competitions. So you could play each other twice. Playing every weekend and that sort of thing, you know. But in the end, of course, it got wiped yeah. You then, um, uh, you know, you you come to our games locally, and when I say uh, our games, um, Bagiani's games, but but prior to that, um, when you're involved with the Wolves, um, your family was involved, not just off the field but on the field as well. So um, I guess although you put 
an immense amount of time in there, it was still still good that the family was involved and that you still, as some people do when they volunteer, miss out on, on family time. So yeah. it must have still been good to to watch uh, your sons play yeah. there and, and be involved. So that, that must still uh, bring about great memories. Well, it does. Raymond was playing first grade and Daniel was playing in the youth grade. Yeah. And Jennifer was one of the cheer girls. So... The whole family was involved. Now you can imagine that the talk around the table at night time, during tea time, <laughs> what it would be like, you know. Yep. Raymond and I would be argue, arguing about the game or <laughs> saying, oh, that should have happened, and he'd say, no, nah, that, that's not on, Dad, you know, and things like <laughs> that. Yeah. But anyway. So when you, uh, uh, say, talk to me now, um, you've had various roles, um, in the sport and um, you know put in an immense amount of effort and and like you said some of it um, is not there anymore at Brandon Park but some of it when I when I look out the window now is there are duty masters for everyone to enjoy and still use so um, overall you must be happy that for a boy that came out when you're 12 or 13 from Holland yeah um, you must be pretty happy with uh, um, your involvement in the sport and in community generally. Absolutely. I'm very happy with that. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way, really. Uh, I'm too old now to get involved with any of it, but uh, yep. that's the way, and that's life, I suppose. And you do this because your family gets involved as well. I mean, you can't do this if your family's not 100% behind you. That's what I was going to say. You must have... Um, the family unit, your wife, yeah. you know, there's got to be 110% support. And, yeah, and even right. though you, your name might be the director, yeah. it really is a family effort, isn't it? Absolutely. And we had some good times. We, uh, <laughs> I'll never forget, we had a end-of-the-year dinner yep. in Sydney. I just forget what club it was in. And prior to that, I had been involved with uh, uh, Ron Bratton from yep. Bratton Ford. Yep. Bob, uh, the Steelers man, Bob Bobby Milward. Yep. And Peter Hilton from the Hawks. Okay. And we'd had talks about having a a, uh, a dinner or something or other like that for the benefit of all three codes. Yep. So. We had this meeting and and they said, we need a prominent person to be at that function. Uh, I said, well, I'm going to a dinner next week and Bob Hawke will be there. Yep. So I said, if you like, I'll approach him and ask him if he's prepared to come down to be a guest at our function to raise money for, for all three kids. So we got, I go to the dinner and halfway through the dinner I get up and I walk over to Bob Hawks who's sitting at a different table and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said excuse me Bob I hate interrupting your dinner but would you be prepared to come to Wollongong on a night and be guest at a dinner whereby the the three codes my code and the Steelers and the Hawks will benefit. 
He said, oh, that sounds good. He says, hey, why don't you have a talk to my uh, my secretary over there yep. and he'll try and arrange it for you. So that's what he said. And I went over to the secretary and the secretary said, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, depends on the date. So yep. we, well, I said, you give us a date and they gave us a date and we then organized this beautiful dinner at the Novotel. Yeah. And uh, halfway during the night, uh, all three co's made a presentation to Bob. Yep. And I made a presentation to Bob of a nice shirt, a wool shirt. Yep. And uh, I've still got a photo of that somewhere. And, uh, yeah, so it was a very successful night. So that's when I met Bob Hawke. And he was then, of course, <laughs> the uh, Prime Minister. Yeah, that's what I should So say. it probably says um, that there's still... Uh it still can be done that if if codes come together even though they're different codes that if we work together as a as a community and as an area or a region yeah there's still a lot to gain if we work together isn't there not oh, being I, working in silos no that's true that's true well it's never happened again since since i was involved in the organization of that but uh, anyway well that's, that's life travis well, I'd like to, uh, again, uh, as I did at the start of the interview, uh, thank you uh, dearly for allowing me into your home and uh, taking up your time and, and, and talking about your soccer career. It's been a, been a pleasure and I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Thanks, John. Good on you, Travis. Thank you very much. Well, another episode down and John was fantastic in terms of his time, knowledge and patience. Again, thank you, John Valestra. Finally, thanks again to the listeners for your support and please keep listening. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.